Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. You know, since this is the last of this series today, I thought it would be good to kind of sing one of the other songs that Fred Rogers sang. How many of you grew up watching this show? Uh, And if you did, you remember that this is a song that he used to start the series, but he also had a song that he sang at the end of this series. You guys remember that song? Can we try to sing that one together? Here we go. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling you're growing inside. And when you wake up ready today, your snapper's out, I think I'll need a snappy new day. It's such a good feeling, very good feeling, feeling that I'll be back. Mr. Ron Anderson this morning. (laughs) Thank you, Ron. And you know, that song, like everything that Fred Rogers did, everything that he did, that he sang, that he put into the show, he did it with great intention. And if we can kind of bring up that previous slide, the last slide of it, this was a very intentional part of the song that he wrote. He put in that I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you. And you'll have things you'll want to talk about, and I will too. See, when Fred Rogers wrote this, he was speaking to one of the biggest fears that children have. And not just children, but a fear that all of us have. And it's that fear of abandonment, that fear of rejection. Because as children, and I think even as adults, we're used to people coming into our lives, but then we build these connections and we go, are they going to stay? Are they going to be here? And what Fred was speaking to her for these children was that, you know what, even though we're getting ready to say goodbye here, I want you to let you know that I'll be back. I'm coming back. He didn't say it with a Schwarzenegger swang to it. He, he want, but he wanted to remind them that I'll be back when the day is through. And this is what we're talking about today. That Jesus, here in John 15, verses 12 through 17, he's bringing some clarity to this relationship to his disciples Because he wants them to have a clear understanding about what friendship means because we often mess it up, don't we? Would you read this with me? Read this with me. John 15, starting verse 12. Let's read together. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name He may give it to you. These things I command you 
so that you will love one another. Love one another. This is the call of Jesus. And he's outlined several things in this, but as we dive into this today, there's three key things that I want us to focus on. And first of all is this invitation of friendship. That Jesus, he's inviting us to this new understanding, to this deeper understanding of what friendship means. But like anything that's new and anything that deepens, anything that means something, there's also a test. So Jesus, in this illustration, he has a test of friendship. And then finally, at the end of this, Jesus talks about the result of friendship. See, there's an invitation to friendship. There's a testing of friendship. But there's also a result of the friendship. Amen? How many of you are ready to receive that word from the Lord today? So Lord, again, I just echo that prayer that we prayed already. Speak. We want to hear from you. We want to walk in the way of our Savior, following you. Now, Lord, open our eyes and our ears as we now hear from your word that you spoke to us in your name. And everyone said together, amen. So let's start with friendship. How many of you have the friends that you have? See, when Jesus was talking about friendship, he wasn't talking about a collection of friends. You know, I remember when Facebook came out. And uh, when, when Facebook first came out, there was this goal of how many friends do you have? Well, I got 100. How many do you have? Well, I have 300. And then you get together next week. How many friends do you have? I got 500. You got 500. Next week, how, I have 600. How many, and the next week, how many friends you got? I got you got 1,000 friends. What are their names? I don't know, but they're all on my friendship wall thing, whatever you call it. Do you remember that? Week by week, it became this accumulation of how many friends do we have. See, this is not what Jesus is talking about. And I think a lot of times when we talk about Jesus calling us friend or even a song that we used to sing, man, over a decade ago, however long it was, we used to sing the song, I am a friend of God. Remember that? Very controversial in some circles. Because we had this idea about what friendship meant. And I think a lot of times when we see these terms in Scripture or we see these things that God is like or words that we're used to either reference to God or how God references to us, Sometimes we have a bad association with that word, don't we? See, if you had a friend that was hurtful to you or rejected to you or in some way abused that relationship, when Jesus said, I call you friends, where does your mind go to? It goes to that brokenness, doesn't it? It's like when we talk about how we refer to God as our father. If you don't know your father or you had an abusive father or a very difficult absent father, that word becomes very troublesome to us. But let me invite you to allow Jesus in this process to redeem something that we've ruined. See, Jesus, he's wanting to redeem this whole word of friendship because true friendship is one of the biggest needs that we have. I think that's why Facebook is so popular. See, we want friends, we desire friends. And the American Psychological Association, they cited that, that those strong friendships, those strong social connections throughout life are linked with such benefits as greater pain tolerance. How many of you want greater pain tolerance? Okay. Stronger immune system, a lower risk of depression, and that having those strong friends, it actually lengthens a healthy life. How many of you are like, sign me up. That's what I want. I want those good friends, those deep friendships that will help me going through. See, we know that community, it brings life to us. It's part of the purpose of the church, of the gathering of us together, together to encourage one another. See, we were made for a community, and we, when we're in this healthy community, we actually thrive, we grow, and that goes out through the community, and the communities around us are stronger because of it. 
But the counter of that isolation, it does the opposite. Isolation brings destruction. And I think for us, whether we've gone through times that we felt isolated or we've actually been isolated or we've seen someone isolated, I think we, we would attest that was one of the darkest times that that person had to go through that we had to go through ourselves. Even wolves, when wolves are hunting, what do they do? They see a big pack and they go, we can't take them all. But they try to find the weakest person and isolate them, don't they? We're all good National Geographic students, aren't we? And you go through it, and the wolf, it isolates because they know if they can isolate, then they can dominate. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's trying to pull us together into this right relationship where we thrive in community together. And Jesus uses a key term in here. He uses that term servant, which means bond servant, because in this passage, Jesus, he's moving us from this, from this idea of being a bond servant to friendship. See, he says, I no longer call you servant. And some, in some translations, it says, I no longer call you slaves. See, that, it means something to us 2,000 years later. But back then, slavery was a common, a, 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 something that was very common. And what he was talking about was this idea of bond servant to where if you had a debt, if you owed somebody money and you couldn't pay it back to them, you would become their bond servant in order to pay off that debt. And what happens to debt? Does debt normally decrease or increase? It grows. And what Jesus is saying in looking at this, he's saying, you know what? I no longer call you this bond servant that you have this debt this, where there's a payback that's required, where there's no partnership to the debtor. You're just there to pay off what you owe them. See, this is what sin does to us. Sin, it enslaves us and it gives us this debt that we can never pay off, but we're always trying to. We're trying to do our very best. We're trying to do the good things. We're trying to say the right prayers. And we're trying to do all the things that are right just to get out of debt. That's that bond servant mentality. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I've come to call you friends. You're my friends now. There is no debt. I've paid the price. You're out of debt. You receive me. You come to me. You ask for forgiveness. Your debt is free. How many want to be debt free today? Is that where you want to walk? And he's saying, look, not only that, not only are you debt free, I didn't just, just come in and cancel everything as you turned your life to me. He's saying, I told you what the Father wants. I'm including you in partnership. You're a full partner of the kingdom of God. Do you realize how powerful that is? A partner with Christ. I reveal to you what I want to do. And I want to do it through you. You're my friends. You want friends like that? All the debt is paid, gone. Thank God. And now here's what I want you to do. I've set you free so that we can walk in this way. This is the friendship that Jesus is talking about. It's full-on friendship. And he even says in this, he says, I want, your, I want your joy to be full. That your joy, that my joy, Jesus speaking, may be your joy, and that your joy will be wholly mature. See, it's maturity not led by circumstances. When we realize that we're debt-free and we're in partnership with God who made everything, and at his name we're healed, at his name everything is provided for, at the name of Jesus, like we, we sang earlier. It is limitless, the amount of power. This is the partnership that we have. He's inviting us into this. And he's saying, I want you to get that. I want you to realize where I'm calling you in this. Because when we walk in this way, our joy is what he's saying is mature. It means there's a maturity that's not led by circumstances. How many of you have ever walked out to an elementary schoolyard where kids are playing? 
And if you grew up in that, you realize that friendship statuses change all the time, don't they? You're my best friend. And then they go over and talk to somebody else. They go, I'm not your friend anymore. And they go over here and they play with somebody else. And then they see somebody that has a basketball. You're my friend. And then that person doesn't share the basketball with them. You're not my friend anymore. And they go over here. And then someone has a cookie. Friendship statuses come and go. I think we would agree that's a pretty immature way to have friends, right? What Jesus is saying is that when you walk in partnership, you're debt-free. There's a joy that I have not led by circumstances, whether I'm bearing the cross or I'm walking on water or I'm sitting around a fire cooking fish with you. We are friends together. We're not led by circumstances. We're led by the mission. We're led by this togetherness in Christ. And there's a joy in that whether you're in pain or whether you're enjoying an incredible meal. This is the maturity that Jesus is leading us in because this is where transformation takes place. There's a transformation so that we can bear his fruit that we're going to talk about in a little bit that he talked about even previous to this. But see, this type of friendship, this is a strong friendship. Not led by circumstances. It's not led by whether you have cookies or not. I always have cookies, so you're okay with me. But it's not led by that. When you have something that is strong, it's going to be tested. There's a test of friendship. Have you ever had any friendships in your life ever be tested? <laughs> right? I see the laughter going, oh boy, I'm in a test right now. See, anything that we lean on, anything that is, we're depending on that we need, it will always be tested. And here's the test that Jesus lays out. The test that Jesus lays out is obedience. He says, you are my friends when you do the things I command you. See, there's a test in there that he outlines in verse 15. Because, see, God's definition of success is not in the stuff you have, how many cookies you have, whether you brought your basketball today. That's not success. Success simply means obedience. What does success equal? Obedience. He set a bar that all of us can do. We're all called to obey. Because, again, we're talking about strategic partnership with Christ, walking with him in his friendship. So our success is tied directly to being obedient. And he's saying, you want this kind of partnership? You want this level of authority to walk in? It's obedience. This is a test for it. See, when we obey, it places us in the position of God being forced because we are in his plan. Obedience is evidence of alignment with God, that we're hearing him, we're following his voice. And it's the level of friendship that Jesus is inviting all of us into. It's strategic partnership, alignment with God. See, we realize that whatever we rely on receives the greatest testing. When an inspector comes to your home, he or she looks at all the fine details that if those are off, the whole house can crumble. They look at your foundation. They look at your electrical system. They look at the plumbing. They look through. They're watching the roof. They're looking at all these things because we depend on those for safety. And if they fail, they could hurt or even kill us. See, things that we depend on we need the test. The greater reliance means greater use. And we naturally test it to see if it's there. Have you ever walked into a house that felt kind of shaky? Right? Instead of walking away from it, what did you do? You bounced on it. <laughs> Is this safe? Can I bring my friends in here? Can I bring my kids in here? Or you start driving a car and the wheel starts going like this. Do you go faster when that happens? Well, so, some of you do. <laughs> the wise person says, maybe I should pull over and, and test this out. See, because we depend on it. It leads us and it guides us. 
And see, what Jesus is saying here is that as we walk through it, there's a test that happens before you need it, not when you need it. Because when you're in that moment, you don't want to wait to get in that moment before you discover that there's something off that needs to be tightened up. We need that. See, think of all the things in your life that you test before using. Our drinking water is tested. We don't want to wait until somebody gets sick before we go, maybe we should test it and see if it's okay. We test those things. We test the building that we're in. We test all the things that are around us. And see, for the disciples, their biggest test was the crucifixion of Christ. And Jesus was getting them ready for it. Is your joy going to be complete when you walk through this with me? See, there, Jesus was so emphatic on this whole idea of friendship. Because when we look at the book of Proverbs, we recognize that there are two types of friends. There are two types of friends. And you may say, well... I've got this whole graph where like, there's actually 10 types of friends or there's 12 types of friends. But it really comes down to two types. And Proverbs says this. Proverbs says, look, there are friends who destroy each other, but then there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Friends that destroy each other, and there's friends that stick closer than a brother. See, throughout the book of Proverbs, this word of friendship is used over and over. And what the... What the writer of Proverbs is saying here is that there's, there's, there's two friends. There's those that destroy because it's a commodity-based friendship. It's a friendship that's based on selfishness. It's the one we talked about. It's that immature, right? It's going, you got cookies? I'm your friend. But when the cookies run out, I need to move on to the next bearer of, of the cookies. Or whatever it is that I desire. And though people may want to interact with you in that way when you're holding something that they want, I think a lot of us, we're tempted to even encourage that type of friendship. Because we're so hungry for it. See, it's based in insecurity. It's, it's that whole thought that, you know, I'm not enough. No one's going to love me for who I am. No one's going to see me for who I am. So I better make sure that I've got everything that I need. Whether it's cookies or the games. Or I'm saying the right words for them. I'm giving them whatever they think they want. It's a commodity relationship that sometimes you're on one side, sometimes you're on the other side of it. Sometimes you're going to somebody to get what they have, and sometimes you're going, I want to give what they have so that I can keep that friendship. Anybody been guilty of that? I have. I've been guilty of that. And see, Dr. Henry Nowen, who was a good friend of Fred Rogers, he wrote this wonderful book that talked about his journey in this. Wonderful book called In the Name of Jesus. See, Henry Nowen, he was a priest, he was a theologian, he was a professor. He taught at some of the top schools in America, Yale, Notre Dame, and Harvard. And this is what Dr. Henry Nowen said. He said, I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place and that the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for spiritual death. After going through all the motions... Leaning on the things he knew people wanted, his education, his teaching, his accolades, all those things. He said, when I looked at my life, I recognized that I was actually dying. He talked about that as I was aging, my prayer life was not getting better. My prayer life was getting worse. Even though I was at these top schools, I was not getting stronger in the Lord. I was falling off. How many of you have experienced that? We've been walking along, doing all the right things, saying all the right things, but you're dying. And people were saying to him, maybe you're burned out. But he came to this realization, no, I'm, 
I'm experiencing spiritual death here. And, and he walked through this process with friends and going, Lord, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? You know what the Lord did to him? He let him, you know, you know. He led him on this journey and he said to Henry, he said, I want you to go to this, this community called L'Arche. See, L'Arche is this community up outside of Toronto, Canada. So basically he's going through a dark valley, so God sent him to Canada. You can read into that, whatever you want. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to hear about that later. God led him to the L'Arche community outside of Toronto, Canada to work with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And here's what Dr. Henry Nowen talked about. He says, quote, he said, The first thing that struck me on entering this community was that their liking or disliking of me had absolutely nothing to do with the many useful things I had done until then. And he said, not being able to use any of those skills that proved so practical in the past was a great source of anxiety in my life. See, God brought him to a community where he was now serving, but he was serving them to where his success in serving them, they didn't care how many degrees he had. They didn't care if he was at Yale and Harvard or whatever kind of school he was at. That meant nothing to him. But he was having to stand vulnerable and stand before him for simply who he was. If you haven't walked through a process like that, let me encourage you. It's a very difficult process. There's no degrees. The other friends didn't matter. It's just Henry Nowen and these precious souls that God loves walking through. And see, what Dr. Henry Nowen realized, that as he walked in that, they weren't concerned about his awards. Do you know what the number one thing that they asked and that they cared about? Will you be here tomorrow? Are you coming back? Are you going to be with me? Are you going to be with me? See, what Dr. Henry Nowen was experiencing, he was experiencing that second type of friendship, not a commodity friendship, but what we see throughout scripture is that covenant friendship, that covenant friendship, that closer than a brother, not just a brother, but closer than a brother. See, Jesus' friendship, it is stronger because it never fails. See, brothers sometimes fail you, don't they? Okay? I have a brother and I've been a brother. And I've sat on both sides of that. Brothers are not perfect. <gasps> And you laugh at that because we know it's true, isn't it? Brothers are not perfect. But Jesus is saying, I'm closer than your brother. See, in the covenant relationship, we're not leaning on our own strength. We're leaning in that relationship with Jesus. It's all about proximity to Christ. It's all about being close. And the people at large, they knew that because they weren't concerned about all of his awards and all the books that he wrote. They said, are you going to be here? Are we going to have proximity? Are we going to experience friendship together? Are we going to walk through this together? And you know, for me, well, I, I'm wearing something that actually illustrates that. Many of you don't know my story, but I was on staff here as a worship and creative arts pastor back in the early 2000s. And then I was back, I helped a friend do a church plant, and I went to the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area at a wonderful church, Chapel Springs. And I was there for seven years. Very healthy place, wonderful place. Five years in, God began speaking to me about coming back to Seattle not just not to join this church or anything like that, but he, he put Seattle so strong in my heart that the presence of God would manifest itself in my minivan, okay, minivan. If God can move in a minivan, he can move anywhere, okay. Move in my minivan to where I would have to pull over to the side of the road. Have you ever had those moments with God where it's so strong in you? And I'm saying, God, what are you doing? 
And it wasn't based on because I was in a bad situation. There's times we pray for deliverance. I was in a good place. Wonderful friends, wonderful community. They were reaching out. They were doing strategic entrepreneurial things. And God began speaking to me and said, I'm calling you back to Seattle. No job, no provision, had four kids. Do you know how expensive kids are? And I love you all. You're worth it. Okay. But as I was heading into those years of raising kids, God was saying, I want you to cut away everything. He was calling me to this Henry Nowen experience of walking it through. And I, and I walked through this, pro- and that's a long story, but the part that I want you to hear in that as we walk through, I began walking through a process with an intentional me- mentor, and I started talking to my pastor. And here's what my pastor said to me. He said, Dwayne, if God's called you, God's called me. Because we are friends. We're friends. We are walking together, and we're going to figure this out. That even though you're going, even though you're leaving, and we're having fun together, if God's called you to go, he's called you, he's called me. How can I partner with you? And we began walking through this process because when he said, what are you going to do in Seattle? I said, I don't know. Do you have a job lined up in Seattle? No, I don't have a job lined up in Seattle. And he looked at me like, are you sure God's speaking? He didn't say that, but you know, it has that look, right? And they began to walk through this process of how they could strategically walk with me in discovering that. And they gave me the sneakers that I'm wearing. I don't know if you've looked at them. But, yeah, they're awesome. They have this flame on it. And we were going through this series and this whole idea there, this whole aspect that I am a missionary, meaning that everyone who's a follower of Christ, you're all missionaries. Wherever you go, whether you're in the corporate workplace, whether you're in the store, in the home, in the neighborhood, wherever you are, you are all empowered to be missionaries as a follower of Christ. He called all of us to do that together. And the flame signals the empowerment that comes from Acts 1-8, that you will receive what? Power. Dunamis, the name of my Christian rock band in high school. Dunamis, okay, that Holy Spirit power, another story, going through, that will fill you and empower you. And they made these shoes and they put that flame on them to remind you that, you know, the Holy Spirit is with you. But not only that, we're with you. And as I walked through this process being out here, they came out, they sent prayer teams to Prayer Walk Seattle with me. They came in, they supported me as a missionary. I was one of their missionaries. They prayed for me, they helped to financially support me walking out. They came out, I bought a 1940s home that was falling apart, water flowing out through the side. They sent a crew out to help me put siding on my house. You want to talk about strategic partnership. And, And my wife and kids to that say, amen, thank you Jesus. See, this is strategic partnership. If God's called you, you've heard the voice of God, and we confirm that he's called me. What can we do? How can we walk with you? How can we be with you? This is covenant friendship. This is just a season. Our life is a vapor. It goes like that. What can I do for the glory of God to step up as a friend and say, what does this mean? What can we do? What would Jesus do through us as we take on this mission? Whether it's a cool pair of chucks that says Dwayne on the back. I was like, you know, downtown Seattle, they may not take kindly to... My own name on the sneakers, I don't know. But they love it. See? What will God do in us as we have that level of surrender, that friendship, not a commodity relationship, not as long as Jesus, you do what I want, you do what I say, and everything is good, but a maturity of I'm following God, and wherever that looks on the curve, my joy is full because I'm with you. 
See, this is to our final point, which is the result of friendship. Because when we walk in that level of friendship, Jesus is saying that you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. It's a natural process of that covenant relationship. And he speaks about this previously where he talks about, I am the vine. You abide in me. Watch the fruit that is going to begin to go through your life. And he even says, you didn't choose me, remember? I chose you. I chose you. Do you have any insecurity issues, any abandonment issues? He's saying, I chose you. You feel like you're burning out? He's saying, no, you're heading towards a spiritual death. Come back into the vine and let me pour in my spirit into you to reinvigorate you. This is the, this is the, the whole idea of bearing fruit that we see constantly throughout Scripture. See, Jesus said what? He said, you will know my disciples by fruit. He said, I chose you to bear fruit. And he even says that every tree does not bear fruit. I'm going to cut it down. We're going to grow something new. Have you ever had to be cut down because you weren't bearing anything? I have. Many times Jesus has come into my life and he's pruned me. He's pruned me back. Not to destroy me but to get me into this healthy relationship of growing in him. See, our friendship with Christ, it bears fruit. And I think sometimes we fall into this whole trap of kind of hoarding and I'm so scared. Have you ever had the frustration that I've had? You you go to the farmer's market and you pick up this beautiful piece of fruit, right? I love pears, I love apples, I love everything that's at the farmer's market. And you put it in your fridge and you go, I'm going to save that for a special occasion. And you come back and you open the drawer and it's rotten. Isn't that a sad, sad day? (laughs) It's an illustration to us. God's called us to bear fruit, not to store, but to use. To be refreshed and to give to others to refresh them. This is the model of Christ. It's that model of bearing fruit. If we hold on to it, it spoils and it does nothing. But if we take it and we enjoy it and we give it away, it nourishes. It strengthens us. Because see, Jesus is saying that friendship with me, when you abide in the vine, I will equip you. I will strengthen you. Do you have something? Do you have something that you need? I'm going to provide it through you. Watch what I will do as you walk in me. But the key part in this, see, Jesus says something. He says, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. I think a lot of times we have this idea of prayer that whatever we ask, Jesus is going to give us. Those of you, if you've had kids or you teach school or you've operated with kids in any way, do you have a policy of whatever the kids ask me, I'm going to give it to them? That should be a resigning no way. <laughs> See, when a child asks for something, it's not about just giving it what they want. We've seen kids like that. That's a spoiled kid. That's a kid that's not connected to what's going on. There are times that I've asked the Lord for something in my immaturity and my desperation that God has said no. And only time has brought me to the perspective of understanding that I'm so glad he said no, that's not what I wanted. See, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that whatever you ask... In my name, in relation to me, in being abiding in the vine, I will do it. Why is that? See, when we're connected to the vine, everything is about creating that fruit. When you walk through a vineyard, you walk through an apple orchard, and there's supposed to be fruit going, and you're looking up. If it's not there, you know there's a problem. Either the vine is not connected or there's something that's coming in. And when I'm a branch, I'm connected to Jesus and he's sending me out to grow fruit. Everything I ask for is about growing that fruit, isn't it? Because my goal, I'm going to grow fruit for Jesus. 
And it might be an apple. And if I'm growing apples and I start seeing grapes going out, something's wrong. Something's wrong, right? There's some GMO. We're not going after GMO. We're going after what God has for us and what's going on. So all my questions are going, why am I not growing what you've called me to grow? What does that mean? When I'm connected, all my questions, they go back to doing what God's called me to do, to bear his fruit. His fruit grows on us. We're his children. We're his friends. We're his strategic partners that he's using and empower us. And even said that you will do greater things than me. But it comes back to the test of obedience of being connected to the vine. And so many times we're connected to the vine and we're frustrated and we think we're experiencing burnout. And God's looking and saying, you've allowed some contamination to come into your life. You've brought some things into your life that is actually compromising that connection. Have you been there? We've all been there. My name is Dwayne. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Okay? But there's times in my life that I've walked through and I've felt burned out. I've had all these things and I've laid my life before God and said, all right, God, I'm ready to listen. And God's gone through and systematically begun to pull things out. That's what a good farmer does. Have you ever seen a good farmer? What do they do? They start pulling the weeds out. If there's something contaminating it, they start pulling it out. If there's a disease on it, they're cutting the disease out and they wrap it over. And sometimes they got to prune it back because a lot of energy is being put to nothing. Have you ever done that? You put a lot of energy to nothing and God's going, I never told you to do that. So you go to God and he cuts you. He goes, why do you do that? He said, I never called you to do that. You're putting energy in to do that. You're taking the good fruit and putting it over here. He said, I'm going to prune you back. Get out from that contamination. Get out from the disease. Get out from all those things that will hurt you. Be connected to me and start asking questions. God, how can I grow more fruit? Who would you have me share the love of Christ with today? What are some things that I can be doing to strengthen? What kind of nourishing? Do I need to be reading more of your word? Do I need to be praying more? The answer is always yes, you do. Praying more, seeking it in. But also, do I need to be walking in obedience more? where I'm going out, God's going, yeah, you're growing fruit, but Dwayne, it's time to pick that fruit and share it. One of the most scariest things that I ever did, which is pretty sad, okay? One of the scariest things that I ever did is I was taking, in graduate school, I was taking this evangelism class, and I had a lot of thoughts in my head, is it, and because one of the assignments was every week I had to go to somebody I didn't know and look for an opportunity to share Christ, it didn't say make them a believer. It just said find someone you don't know and look for an opportunity to share Christ. So as a pastor, this wasn't here, I get in my minivan again because that's where the glory of God shows up, I guess. I don't know. I get in my minivan. It's <laughs> a joke. There's a minivan and I, and I go to this mall and I'm sitting there shaking in my boots. God, I've got to go into that mall, find someone new and share Christ. I want to do it. I know I should do it. I've told other people to do it, but now I've got to do it. What does that look like? And then I started going through the mall. And you've probably seen people like this. They're looking them in the eyes, right? And they're looking for an opportunity. And then you say, that is the worst technique to do. You never stare somebody down. They get creeped out. You see people in coffee shops. They're sitting in the coffee shop and they're just looking like this. No one talks to them because <laughs> you're scared. And I just began walking through, and I'm going up and down the mall, up and down the mall. I'm, I'm on my hour lunch break, and I'm going, I'm running out of time, and I'm going to fail. The professor's going to fail me. I'm a pastor, and I'm failing at evangelism. What am I going to do? And this guy, I started a conversation with, with, with a guy. He had this really cool tattoo, you know, and I was like, and he sat down, like, man, that's a cool tattoo. He's like, do you have any tattoos? I'm like, 
No, I don't need tattoos. <laughs> but that's really cool. And we began to have this whole conversation about why he had it. And we ended up, him, as I let him talk, talking about God. Talking about Jesus. Inside, I was jumping through my skin, going, this is amazing. And I did something you know is shocking. I cried a little bit. <laughs> and I went out. And I sat in the van, and I called Stephanie, and I was like, <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? I said, I just had the most incredible experience that lit me up. Having conversations with people I don't know. Sitting next to people. Do you know what my latest tactic is for sharing the gospel? It's, it's one of my favorite. Go to Dick's, get a hamburger, and sit on a bench and wait for someone to come sit next to you and then start talking about Jesus. I, I just did that. And I was like, hey, <laughs> I could do this. Jesus is calling us to be present. It's not about the burger. It's not about forcing a conversation. It's about being present, being alive in him, being connected to the vine. And I found that when I walk through society, when I walk through my community, when I walk into my kid's bedroom, when I walk into this place and I say, God, what would you do in me today? See, the pressure is not on me. Except to listen and to allow God to guide me. Some of my greatest times of sharing Christ with people have been when I've said next to nothing. I've just sat there and listened. And because they were in the, in the presence of a child of God, they just began to open up and talk and talk and talk and talk. And they talked the whole thing through. Do you know how awesome that is? So I'm like, the less I say, the more they hear God. How about that? And Jesus is saying, you know what? That's the kind of relationship I want with you. Are you ready for that level of friendship? Are you ready to walk with me, to know me? to be connected to the vine, to allow me to prune you, to come in and to pull out the weeds. All that contaminants that's being on you, let's get rid of that. Shine in my light. Amen. Can we stand together this morning? Holy Spirit, you've brought us to this moment. It's the end of a series of how can I be a neighbor, but Lord, I believe it's just the beginning for many of us as you're calling us out, you're launching us out, you're empowering us, you're equipping us, you're calling us to move in new ways, entrepreneurial ways, in the coffee house, in the street, in the home, in the store, wherever we may find ourselves, right here, right now. Lord, speak to us and show us. Show us how to walk in this intimate friendship with you that you've called us to. Not a friendship the way that we may have defined it, but the way you defined it. That obedience to you, abiding in you, growing in you, strengthening. Amen. Every head bowed. If you're saying, that's the kind of friendship I want with Jesus, just, just raise both your hands as a sign of surrender to him. Just lift them up. Jesus, I want that level of friendship with you. I want to walk with you. Anybody here want that? Whether you're walking it, maybe you're going, I'm walking it now, but I'm going, yep, I'm surrendering fresh and anew. I thought everybody would raise their hands. I don't know. Maybe not. That level of friendship with you.
But in your heart, how many of you would say, you know what? My connection to the vine is not so good. There's some things in my life that I need to allow the Spirit of God to come in and take away. How many of you raise your hand and go, that's me. Prune me, Jesus. Remove the contaminants. Shut off those things that I'm looking at online. Shut off those voices that I'm listening to. Amen. Lord, help us to walk through as we walk into levels of deeper understanding, deeper obedience with you. Show us your glory. As, as the worship team sings and we head into this time of response, I want to encourage you with everything in me that if the Lord is speaking to you, don't wait. We have prayer teams in the balcony and prayer teams in the side. And I'd, I'd like for those teams to go ahead and just go to those positions now. If the Lord's speaking to you, you need to go talk to somebody. You need to pray with somebody. You need to enact it. If you came with somebody you want to talk to, you need to turn to them and talk to them and say, look, God's speaking to me. There's some things in my life. I want to grow in this relationship. There's some things that God's speaking to me about getting rid of. Or there's some fear in my life that I need to deal with. Or there's some hurts that I need. I need to put them on the table and start walking in. Forgiveness, confession. Let's take this time. Go pray with somebody. Come up around the table of the Lord, communion that signifies his body that was broken for you and his blood that was spilt so that you can be debt free from your sin and walking in this intimacy with Christ. Amen. Let's take this time to respond so that we can grow into the neighborhood that God's calling us to be, that we can be alive in the spirit, fully devoted followers of Christ, friends of God. Let's step out and walk in this as we respond this morning.